And that, my friend, is why I say that Richard Nixon was truly the worst thing to happen to black and brown communities in America. This is Canna Ed. Have you taken the green pill? Welcome to Canna Ed. This is the History of the Plant, episode three of the series. I'm your host and your favorite nurse, Erica. And in our last episode, we discussed the first three decades of the 20th century and the racist and just politically greed-fueled laws that were passed around cannabis and hemp. You know, kind of like the ones that we have today in 2019, you know, some politically greed-fueled racist laws. You know, dollar dollar bill, y'all. It's all about them dollars. If you haven't heard episode two of the series, you have got to check it out. But in today's episode, we are going to get into how mandatory minimums came into play. And yes, that's mandatory minimum sentencing and how Richard Nixon was the worst thing to happen to the black and brown communities and truly the worst thing to happen to the fight for legalized cannabis. But first. Disclaimer. The Ed podcast is intended for educational purposes only. In the event that you wish to begin your medical cannabis journey, please seek a certified medical cannabis consultant, such as myself, or a medical professional, such as your recommending physician, for a personalized care plan. Cannabis products have not been analyzed, tested, or approved by the FDA. Patients utilizing cannabis for medical use should treat cannabis as any other medication that delivers psychoactive effects. This includes avoid operating motor vehicles or heavy machinery, performing child or elder care, and making important decisions. All right, so we've been chit-chatting for about two minutes, and I haven't even mentioned anything about history yet. So let's get into it. During the 1950s, I want you to, again, remember the times. This was still the Jim Crow era of America. You know, they were mad because you couldn't write race into the law. That damn Emancipation Proclamation. So they sat back, they regrouped, and they got resourceful. This is the time when the racist politicians and lawmakers realized that America's modern-day slavery system was going to be the prison system. This is when mandatory minimum sentencing was written in the law, around the mid to late 50s. By definition, mandatory minimum sentencing requires that offenders serve a predefined term for certain crimes, commonly serious and violent offenses. Judges are bound by law. These sentences are produced through the legislature, not the judicial system. And I'd like to point out two things about this. Number one, the definition states, again, that mandatory minimums require that offenders serve a predetermined, or I'm sorry, predefined term for certain crimes, commonly serious or violent offenses. So who makes a decision of what's deemed a commonly serious or a violent offense? The lawmakers the legislators, senators, 
your congresswomen and congressmen. You know, and back then, what was deemed a violent or serious crime was carrying a joint or two. I mean, you still have laws today that affect people. If you didn't know, now you know. Now, I'm going to tell you guys the story of Bernard Noble. He was a 44-year-old father of seven in Mississippi. When he was sentenced to 13 years, three months, no parole, for the equivalent of two joints. Now, I'm, go- I'm here to tell you the whole story because, you know, that's what we do here at Canna Ed. <laughs> so, Bernard had prior convictions for nonviolent crimes that stretched back to the late 80s. And, whew, just wait until our episode of the History of the Plant where I get into the 80s and Reaganomics and survival and just, ooh, there's, there's going to be a lot. And P.S., I have a very special guest for that era of America. Now, back to Bernard. So his prior convictions were for small possession of amount, small amounts of, you know, drugs like cocaine and cannabis, to be exact. But because the state of Louisiana labeled him as a habitual offender in 2010, when he was arrested for the equivalent of two joints, in Louisiana, this allowed the courts to sentence him to the maximum of 13 years, three months, and no parole. He was thankfully freed in April of 2018 at the age of 51 years old, you know, after serving seven years in prison. Like I said earlier, he's a father of seven. That's seven years of his life gone, you know, from his children and just seven years of his life gone. You know, but thank God he had people advocating for him, like the billionaire New York hedge fund manager, Daniel Loeb. But most people go through this and are shuffled in and out of the prison system with no options. Kendrick Lamar, hashtag ain't nobody praying for me. So, I mean, this is real, y'all. Seven years in prison for the equivalent of two joints. Meanwhile, in 2010, when Bernard was convicted, the United States had 16 states with medical cannabis laws. And two years later, in 2012, Colorado and Washington became the first two states with recreational cannabis laws. Meanwhile, Bernard is sitting in prison for the equivalent of two joints. Yeah. Please, 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 please try and tell me that we don't need some type of cannabis legislative reform in this country. If you or a loved one is interested in getting started on your medical cannabis journey, please reach out and let us help you. You are not alone. Through our personalized care plans, specialized educational formats, and very knowledgeable staff, we will be right by your side from obtaining your medical card to your first step inside a dispensary to the first time you indulge in cannabis and beyond. Now, if cannabis isn't new to you, but you're looking to utilize cannabis for symptom management of your chronic medical conditions, such as uh, chronic pain, anxiety, autoimmune inflammatory disorders, diabetes, hypertension, high cholesterol, 
I mean, there's so much information and research we can pull from to develop your personalized care plan. We also have care plans outlined for symptom management of various mental health disorders. Let us help you. Shoot us an email at canna.ed1 at gmail.com. That's canna.ed1 at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram to reach out. Either way, contact us so that we can get the interview process started and get you on your way to the proper medical cannabis treatment. All right, so I think I got my point across about how shitty mandatory minimums in sentencing is and how we need legislative reform. Now, let's go into the 1960s. I want you to remember the times. These were some heavy times, you know, the JFK assassination, Malcolm X assassination, Martin Luther King assassination, uh, the, the, the Vietnam War, you know, you had the Kent State shootings, you had riots, just the civil rights movement, the women's rights movement. And I want you to remember that these movements brought constitutional amendments. I personally think it's time for an amendment to be drawn to the U.S. Constitution centered around cannabis reform. And if you agree with me, please share this with someone who needs a dose of CannaEd. However, I also think that we need to consult the experts and scientists and healthcare professionals and patients when we write these legislative policies. Instead of corporations and lobbyists for said corporations and people that just aren't educated on medical cannabis and people who aren't suffering from not having medicinal cannabis. You know, we have an opioid epidemic in this country right now. This is not unfamiliar to the United States of America. Now, listen to episode two of the history of the plant to hear how the U.S. cured its heroin epidemic in the 19th century with, guess what? Cannabis. Did you know? Former President R.I.P. JFK, unbeknownst to him, had an addiction to methamphetamines. Yup, I said it. But no, like, really, this is all verifiable information that you can Google. There was a doctor that was dubbed Dr. Feelgood by Kennedy's Secret Service detail that would travel around with the president and give him injections of liquid crystal meth to give him, quote, a more youthful vigor, unquote. <laughs> In 1962, Kennedy was at the Carlisle Hotel and he had, you know, like a Hulk moment where he's like, ah, and then he peeled off all his clothes and he went running around through the corridor of the Carlisle Hotel naked until his bodyguards had to chill him out. Then Dr. Feelgood to the rescue comes and gives him a shot of an antipsychotic and then he finally calmed down. Dr. Feelgood reported that JFK had a psychotic break from an overdose of the liquid methamphetamine shots. Doesn't that sound familiar, my healthcare homies? I mean, someone comes in tripping and just high on drugs and you B-52 them with an MD order, then they calm down. 
For those that don't know, B-52 is Benadryl, 5 milligrams of Haldol, and 2 milligrams of Ativan. It works like a charm. I learned it in the ED. Alright y'all, I think I'm gonna run with this for a minute. It was reported that distinguished stars like Marilyn Monroe, you know, Mickey Mantle, the baseball star, and Eddie Fisher were also receiving shots from Dr. Feelgood. Now, you got to remember that over centuries, these basic chemical compounds have not gone away, and they aren't going away. The way they package, markage, markage, market, <laughs> and sell is what has changed. Because you got to remember, like, the game don't change, it's the players that do. JFK's brother, Bobby Kennedy, who was the U.S. Attorney General at the time, he tried to talk to JFK, you know, he was like, hey, yo, bro, you got to chill, like, this stuff is not good for you. And JFK, he said, and I quote, I don't care if it's horse piss, it makes me feel good, end quote. And yes, like, that's how I envision JFK saying that quote. <laughs> Now, I bet you didn't know that JFK was actually diagnosed with Addison's disease and chronic pain. You know, just think if these nonsensical cannabis prohibition laws wouldn't have been a thing during the 60s, then JFK could have freely utilized medicinal cannabis and not have been addicted to methamphetamine. You know, years later, studies were conducted that showed the harmful effects and the addictive effects of methamphetamine, and it was then scheduled on the Controlled Substance Act. You know, John F. Kennedy was not a bad president at all, in my opinion. And one thing that people forget about celebrities, <clears throat> politicians, idols, you know, everyone that is in the world is that we are all human. And we all fight battles, you know, we have struggles. And regardless of like, you know, who you are, status, class, whatever, you bleed red. So, yeah, I mean, JFK, he battled an addiction he didn't even know about that his doctor was giving him. I mean. <laughs> All right, now we're rolling into 1969. Don't forget, Richard Nixon had lost the election to JFK in 1960. So, I mean, he had his agenda on what he wanted America to continue to look like prior to the Civil Rights Movement of 1964. And I promise you that the Civil Rights Movement and the amendment, well, the amendments were not part of it. But nonetheless, Nixon ran again and was elected and sworn in January 20th of 1969. And this is where it all began. And this is why I say that Tricky Dick was the absolute worst thing to happen to black and brown communities of color. You know, legislation was drafted and bills were passed that targeted black and Latino, but you know, they dubbed everyone as Mexican and hippies during this time, but it hid behind the war on drugs. So they were tired of these damn hippies smoking this weed and opposing the war. And you had a lot of people in general that were addicted to heroin and the cocaina. But who did the media associate it with? 
you know, naturally the black and the brown people. So it was a black and a brown criminal issue and we must lock them up. The administration was angered, you know, by the fact that black people who were once subjected to their slavery had constitutional rights. Oh no, you know, you can't write being black into the law. Then what do you write? Drugs. Nixon had signed the Controlled Substance Act of 1970 into law. Now, what did this do? It repealed the Marijuana Tax Act, which I went into in episode two of the history of the plant. You got to check it out. And then it was, um, this is when cannabis gained its name as a Schedule One drug. You know, Nixon stated that drug abuse was public enemy number one and had officially declared the war on drugs. Now, I want y'all to remember that Richard Nixon was definitely not the best of character. And looking back and the fact that we have, you know, Google and all of this technology, you can really see how people over time have been and can be just manipulated by the media and propaganda. I mean, shit, we see this now. And, you know, Richard Nixon, he went on TV when you only had like, you know, three channels to choose from and was telling the American people, I'm not a crook. Yet he was a crook. Hashtag Watergate. (laughs) And if you're unfamiliar with Watergate, I mean, definitely, you know, research. But basically, he and his administration had paid some dudes to bug the DNC offices. And when the guys were caught, you know, Nixon paid them hush money. And basically, the Robert Mueller of their time investigated all of this and found out that Nixon indeed was a crook. So he was impeached October 3rd, 1973, but all of the bullshit that he enacted still affects our generation today. John Elrickman, who was Nixon's domestic policy chief during the 1968 campaign, was interviewed in 1994 by journalist Dan Baum And um, this was all published in Harper Magazine. And it stated, and I'm quoting right now, John Ellerkman, the Nixon campaign of 1968 and the Nixon White House after that had two enemies, the anti-war left and black people. You understand what I'm saying, right? We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and the blacks with heroin and then criminalize both heavily, we could disrupt these communities, we could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know what we were lying about, the drugs? Of course we did. His words, y'all, not mine. Make sure to subscribe or follow so you don't miss an episode of Canna Ed, where we will be releasing weekly to bi-weekly episodes. 
This pot pod is just as much about you as it is us. And we want to hear from you. So we encourage comments, questions, stories, and feedback. So please show us some love in the comments, subscribe or follow, and tell someone that you feel would benefit from a dose of Canna Ed. We'll talk soon, my friend.